Amen indeed. We've been preaching through uh, the summer on a faith, keeping faith, persevering faith in troubled times. We've been walking through the book of Habakkuk and seeing how God had shaped him and shaped his soul and shaped his thinking and his faith and caused him to persevere in, uh, in the face of suffering and trouble. And we come to the last section this morning as, as, uh, as we wrap up this series and see where God has, has brought him in this uh, journey that he's been on, that we've been on. So as we wrap this up, um, the next couple of weeks, next week is our VBS Sunday. That means our children, uh, things that they learned over that week, they're going to sing uh, with us and for us a couple of times. We'll do something special. The following week, August the 5th, uh, we are going to install Greg as our associate pastor, which is a very special time in the life of a church. It requires a, uh, a special service. So we'll, uh, you know, there'll be the preaching of the word and prayers as usual, but there'll be some special elements as we install Greg into his office. And uh, you should, it's, it's I think, uh, cool, awesome, neat to be a part of that kind of thing in the life of the church. It doesn't happen all the time. So, uh, so that'll be August 5th. And then, uh, and some other things in, in mid-August, we'll start a series on marriage uh, for a few weeks. <clears throat> But for today, we are talking about when God is enough. When, uh, when we're faced with the kind of things that he was faced with or that we're faced with, uh, do we discover, can we find that God himself is enough? Habakkuk chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Hear then the word of God. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, and yet I will quietly wait for the trouble to come upon people who invade us. And though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. And yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy in God, the God of my salvation. For God the Lord is my strength and He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me to tread on the high places. And then I love it. He says to the choir master with stringed instruments, sing it. The Word of God, pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to your word this morning because we come to you. We long to hear you speak. We know that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so we would feast this morning on the truths that are here. Speak them into our souls and into our lives with power so that we may have this faith, that we may hold it in the deep places when we struggle. For we ask and we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Persevering faith in troubled times. Keeping faith. All right, and this is, this is the, uh, in some ways the goal of life. <laughs> to persevere in faith to the end. To the day that we stand with him to be faithful. The book of Habakkuk is something of a tragic book. Because it's full of the surprise of tragedy, pain, and confusion. 
Habakkuk prays for revival, but God answers with judgment. He says it's going to get worse before it gets better. Hard times, difficult things are ahead, and, and we see when this difficult news comes, it has a, a, a physical impact on him as he is sort of wrapping his mind around the truth of what God has said and what lies before them. And he says in verse 16, So I hear my body trembles and my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. It's almost like a, a physical response to this kind of news. We, we've seen this, you know, at least we see it on TV. You know, and a lot of times people will say to you, you know, you might want to take a seat. You know, you might want to sit down before I tell you this. You know why? Because you might get a little weak in the knees. When there's hard news, when there are difficult things, it may, it may have a physical impact on you. And so you may want to sit down when you hear this. And this, this news overwhelms him. And he says, yet I will quietly wait for the Lord, for the day of trouble to come. I will, I will wait for the light that is at the end of the tunnel. question that faced Habakkuk, the question that faces us is how do we find inward courage? How do we find peace and joy? How do we find persevering faith in the face of these kind of trials? And praise be to God, the book of Habakkuk does not end on a note of fear, but on a note of faith. Right? He ends in the place where God takes him. And so many of the stories that we find, whether it's a story captured in a in a, in a little prophetic book or a story like Abraham and that kind of thing. It's a story of a journey where God takes a man and through interaction and through prayers and through this, you know, he brings him someplace. He matures his faith and deepens his relationship with him. How do we find courage and peace and joy? How can our fear be conquered by faith? He says, I will wait quietly. And though the fig trees and the vines and the olive trees and the fields are barren, and though the, there are no flocks and there are no herds, and though, as he said, what God has been talking about, he's describing here a famine. You know, it's as if when the Babylonians come, that they are going to come through the land like locusts and just strip it bare of all of its sustenance and, and all that's there. And he knows as he's looking and seeing the times that are ahead. Sometimes you get news and you know rough times are ahead. You've lost your job. You've heard of an illness or you've heard different kind of news. It might make you weak in the knees and you can look ahead and you understand there are difficult times. This is going to be a hard road. It's going, to, it's going to push us. It's going to stretch us. He's describing a catastrophe. It's hard to even put what he's saying in words here. It's almost post-apocalyptic. You know, if there was no food at Publix, and Walmart was empty. I mean, we laugh, but that's post-apocalyptic. Like, where would I get food? I look out in my backyard. I'm like, it's roots and berries. I don't even think I have any berries. You know, where are we, how are we going to survive this? Verse 18, he says, yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy. I will take joy in God, the God of my salvation. I will rejoice. I will exult. It's two different words that are used there. It's hard to capture them. I will, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. I will, 
I will worship with all my soul the God of my salvation. When all is stripped away, when we are deprived of our material benefits and material blessings and the things that we leaned on and we put our hope in and we trusted in, our 401ks and our, you know, all of our amassed whatever it is, and when it's stripped away, true faith discovers that God is enough. True faith finds that God outweighs all of it. He's the creator of all of it. He's the sustainer of all of it. He's the one who has made me. He's the one who, you know, for, for time and eternity, we belong to him. And that, that, that you could take this whole world as long as you give me Jesus. Right? That as long as you have God, he is enough. He, he is more than all the universes put together. He's the one who spoke them into existence by a word of his power. And when circumstances look bleak and catastrophic, Habakkuk clings to his God. He clings to, the, to God. And God becomes, in a sense, God in a way. And sometimes we forget that he is, that he is still the deity, the creator. He is the God of his salvation, the only hope in life and death, the eternal God who saves his people. How much more? This is true of New Testament believers. When he says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation, how much more do we know about that salvation? How much fuller not only is the revelation, but is the fulfillment of that salvation where we have a full knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ when God for us and for our salvation took on flesh and became a man who lived the life that we failed to live, who lived in righteousness, who loved the Lord as God with his heart, soul, mind, and strength where we failed to, who lived that life and took that perfect life and died on the cross as a sacrifice, as a substitute to pay the debt of our sin so that we could be forgiven. In time and eternity, you could take joy in the God of your salvation no matter whatever else would happen in life if it is still true that your sins are forgiven and you stand right before God and on that day, you have nothing to fear. We can still take joy. This is the bedrock, in a sense, of our faith, the bedrock of our hope that can never be taken away. He is the God of our salvation in Jesus. And though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Because I know on the day that I die, to we said yesterday in, in, uh, in Don's service, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. It's not the end, it is the beginning. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. It is to, it's to go home. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Bedrock cannot be taken away if Christ is yours, no matter whatever else you lose, whatever else is stripped away. The truth of his saving love, the truth of his abiding presence can never be removed. It's a source of unending and unassailable hope. God is my God. And when the world goes and falls to pieces, I can exult in Him. When nothing in creation can satisfy, our faith, our faith can live on the living God. 
because he does live. And so he says this, that I will take joy, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation because that is always true no matter what happens and no matter what famine hits the land, whatever else happens, yet I can cling to him. And then he says in verse 19, God, the Lord, is my strength. There's actually no verb in that sentence in the Hebrew. It just simply says, God the Lord, my strength. God the Lord, my strength. The sovereign Lord, Yahweh himself, my strength. When he looks at what lies ahead, when he looks at the struggle that he is going to have to go through in the months and years ahead, that his people is going to have to go through in the months and years ahead. His hope, his strength, is not in himself. And this is where we come to the end of ourselves. We do not persevere. We will not persevere in those moments. We will not persevere in, in any way in this life, ultimately, through our own strength and our own power. And until we know that, not in our heads, but until we really, honestly, at some deeper level, know that. I will not stand if it depends on me. I do not have the strength. I will not be able to endure what is ahead by myself. It is the Lord, it is Adonai, who preserves me, who keeps me safe. It is His strength. So often when we come under pressure and circumstances bear down, we try so hard Don't we? Like we buckle down with our own bootstraps and we try so hard to be strong and to save ourselves and to do what we need to do and to keep ourselves safe. We trust in our own efforts and we strive and we do. And it's only at some point in that struggle that we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that the real hope is not in our strength. And we look to Him. And we are saved. This is what Paul discovered when he was struggling, as you know, and he prays and he asks God to deliver him from some struggle, the thorn in his flesh, and we don't know what it is, but we can come here. It's really, it's the same place that Paul arrives at, that that Habakkuk has arrived at, which is that in, in the course of discovering our own weakness and discovering our own powerlessness and discovering we're not as in control as we thought we were, and we reach out to God, And God meets us there. So often he waits for us to come to the end of ourselves before we discover that he is indeed our strength. And he is strong with the divine power. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. But until you know you are weak, you won't discover it and you won't experience it. Because you are trusting in yourselves and you are trying of yourselves and you are, you know, pushing forward in your own flesh as opposed to reclining into me and my spirit. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. It's one of my favorite verses. I just love that image of the power of Christ coming to rest on me, to rest on you. Yahweh, Adonai, 
my strength. And His strength resting on me. We will not die. We will persevere. We will live. Right? We will stand. We will stand because He is strong. Right? He is our light and our shield. He is our strong salvation. I will take joy in God who is my Savior. I am not my own Savior. He saves me in every way. My hope is in Him. I find my strength in Him. Alexander McLaren says this, Do not let us deprive ourselves of the lofty consolations and the mysterious influx of power which may be ours. If we will open our eyes to see and our hearts to receive what is really the central blessing of the gospel, which is the communication through the same faith that Habakkuk has that he exercised when he said, I will rejoice in God who is my salvation. Through that same faith, there is an actual divine strength that will dwell in and manifest itself in Let me say that again. An actual divine strength to dwell in and manifest itself majestically and triumphantly through our weakness. He is saying the same faith through which we turn to God in those moments. When we come to the end of ourselves, he says the faith that knows him to be the God of our salvation through that same faith can flow, he says, the very strength and power you need, the very grace that will be sufficient for you in that moment that will uphold you, cause you to stand, even be comforted and find joy. And that's the really amazing and astounding thing. Because what he is looking at is a catastrophe of the magnitude that you or I have never experienced. The Lord will and will not experience. And he says, I rejoice. I find joy. I take joy. Because God is still my God. He goes on to describe the strength. And he gives us this beautiful image, which you have seen in so many ways. The title of a book. God, the Lord, my strength makes me and makes my feet like the deer's. It makes me to tread on the high places. So he gives us this metaphor, this picture of what God's strength does in his people. He, my strength makes my feet like the deer's, and he makes me tread on the high places. Now, I confess, in many, where along the way, I've never seen that as, as, as a really powerful image for me. I, you know, why doesn't his, I always think it, it should be like, he makes me like a bear, you know, or something, I don't know, something stronger. But then there is an image here, it's an old image, that, uh, that both for the Jews, as you'll see, I'm going to take you to a, a psalm here in a second, that, that it really is an image of strength and power. It's an image of grace that Yahweh Adonai makes me strong and sure-footed and untiring. And it actually is, it's it's, it's the language of war. Because what I was reminded as I was studying this is that Habakkuk is actually quoting David from Psalm 18. If you read Psalm 18, it's really a war psalm. And I'm going to read this section, but if you want this afternoon as your homework, the verses that follow this, you will read about all the things that David does to his enemies and all the ways that God makes David victorious over his enemies, right? But it comes in the heels of this where he says, For it is you, 
who light my lamp. I like that too. You know, there's some of this language, you light my lamp, right? You set me on fire, right? You are the light of my soul. You light my lamp, right? You, the Lord, my God, lightens my darkness. For by you, I can run like, like the deer with strong hind legs, right? I can run against a troop, like an army, the enemy who comes in force. I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall, impediments and obstacles that are in my way, right? I am, I am fast and swift and agile. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all of those who will take refuge in him. For who is God? But Yahweh. One God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And who's a rock except our God? The God who has equipped me with strength, Yahweh, Adonai is my strength. He has equipped me with strength. He has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. And he set me secure on the heights and he trains my hands for war. And then it goes on to talk about how in swift and sure-footed and strong he lays waste to his enemies, and he is victorious by the power and the strength of God who lights his lamp and gives him feet like the feet of a deer. I, more than ever, I'm, I, I wouldn't mind those feet. He makes me strong and fast, sure-footed, and he gives me the high ground. Right? Anybody who knows anything about warfare is you want the high ground. And you seek it, and he, and he makes me to tread on the high places, the places of victory, the places of strength, which is a high ground. Most castles are built on a hill, on the high ground. It's harder to assail. By his power, he is saying, he gives me these feet that make me swift and strong and sure-footed, so I never slip, I never stumble. I'm swift against my enemy. I can leap obstacles. He brings me to secure heights beyond the enemy's reach. This is a picture of persevering grace and faith. Do you see it? In the end of the book, in the end and in the face of all that, that is before him, there's this, it's a powerful picture of persevering grace and strength as God enables him to stand. Not unlike Jude is speaking about one of those benedictions that we give now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, who gives you feet like a deer, swift and sure-footed, and is able to present you blameless in the presence of his glory who causes you to tread on the high places, the unassailable places, his presence. Right? There's a similar image there. Now unto him who will cause you to persevere. Keep you from stumbling. Bring you to the appointed end by his power, by his grace. Our feet don't slip, not because we are strong, but because he is strong. Not because we hold him, but because he holds us. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. When you put your faith in Christ, that's what he did. I gave them eternal life. If you are in Christ, that life is yours. Now and forever. Sense in which it's already started. Eternal life for you has already started. Right? To be apart from the body is to be at home with the Lord. 
And so life never ends, right? I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Is that your hope? Is it your hope? Is your hope that you will stand, that you'll pull it off, that you'll be strong? Or is your hope that no one can take you out of his hand because he's given you a life that never ends and does not perish? 1 Corinthians 7, 1, 7 to 9, he says this. Paul writes again, he says, As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you wait, as you go through whatever it is between now and that day, when it is revealed, as we walk through this veil of tears, as we walk through all the things that he calls us to in the valley of the shadow of death, as we, as we wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you? He will sustain you. As you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is my hope. God is faithful. By whom you were called into fellowship with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our testimony will always be to the keeping power of God. Our testimony will always be to His grace, to His strength, who sustains us and gives us feet like a deer and causes us to tread the high places. Let me just walk through a few things then, two or three things here in the end that Habakkuk learned that I think we should learn. If this wasn't, in a sense, application enough, if this... If, if, if this psalm or praise and you know he says to the choir master sing it i don't know this song of praise and worship and 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 trust and hope in god that he has given us in a sense if that were to shape your heart and a mind alone if you went away and your heart and your mind has that shape as you press ahead into life you don't need you know his work here my work here is done you know his work here is done but let me just point out a few, few, few more things in, uh, as just as what did he learn as he started where he started and he wrestled with God. God, bring a revival. No, I'm going to bring judgment. What? You know, how are you going to do that? I don't understand how you can be holy and do that. And God answers him again and he wrestles with God and he ends up in this place. And there were a few things that he learned because God has brought him to a, a place of greater maturity in his faith, in his understanding of who God is. Who his God is. So a few things as we talk about this. Well, he is describing here in these last few verses of his book are the results in the heart and mind of someone who has true faith and communion with God. Right? This is what it looks like in the inner soul in the inner places, in the deep places of someone who in the midst of their struggles, whatever it is in this life, has communion, relationship, unity, fellowship with the living God. And that's what he is describing. He has found inward courage and inward peace and even, even inward joy in the face of these things, in the face of overwhelming circumstances. He here in these verses, he is the righteous one who is living by his faith and feeding his faith on the truth about who God is as the joy of his salvation and the strength of his life. He's learned a few things. He's learned the secret of being content, like Paul does in the New Testament. He's learned the secret of being content. 
the secret of an abiding joy, which is simply this. Live by faith in the living God. What he discovered is the righteous will live by his faith. And that faith isn't a vacuous, empty, sort of ethereal thing that I have this faith. His faith is to trust in the knowledge about all of who God is. He lives by his faith. He lives by his knowledge and trust in all of who God is, as the God of his salvation and the strength of his life. We live by faith through suffering. Habakkuk is born into a deeper faith, an understanding. His world has shifted in a good way. His world has shifted, and this God that he knew has taken center stage in a new way. God is God in, an, in a more absolute way. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we talk about God, and then we go about and we talk about things as if, you know, that God is not uncreated creator, the almighty sovereign who does all things, who spoke you and everything else in the universe into existence and the word of his power and sustains you moment by moment in existence. You don't fly apart his particles into nothing because he sustains you in existence by the power of his word that he by his spirit providentially orders all things at all times. And, and we think of God, but sometimes we think of him as less than God. And what happens in these moments, we, God shifts into perspective in, in this, as, this, as this one and God is God in a more absolute way. Where truly the world begins to fall away and you say you're going to have everything else. As long as you are true and you are mine. Right? He, he learned He grew in his relationship with God, in his love, his trust, in his understanding, in his worship of God as God. And he is not. He learned to pray. We see it through the book as he wrestles with God. And God speaks and answers him. And he, and he learns about him, but he also learns about himself. And, and his prayers become more and more humble and more and more worshipful as it comes here to the end into this song of worship and, and prayer. Prayer is often, our songs are often just sung prayers. But he learns humility in his praying. He's found that his prayer did not change God. But that in his praying, God changed him. Right? Isn't that the book? He started out seeking to get God to do something. God said, oh, I'm doing something. And in the end, he didn't get God to do what he wanted him to do. And so often, we're really frustrated like that. We think we're going to go to God and we're going to get him to do stuff. Now, we are to pray. But don't get me wrong. I mean, but absolutely, if nothing else, what we discover is prayer is much bigger and wider and deeper and stronger than we thought of just getting God to do the things that we think he ought to be doing. Because here, he prays. And he learns this humility and he found that he has not changed God. But oh, in his praying, God has changed him. He's brought him to this place where he can take joy in God of his salvation and take exult in the God of his salvation. And he 
finds his strength and his enduring faith in the midst of hard times. Rather than getting God to change his circumstances, he found God faithful in his circumstances. As P.T. Forsyth has said, in prayer our soul is fulfilled, even if our request is not. And that's the soul of prayer. That even when our request is not fulfilled, our soul is. Because we've been with him. And we know Him. And we know He is at work. God has become God in a more absolute way. And so He has learned that at the heart of a persevering faith is the bowed knee to the sovereignty of God. How much pain we would deliver ourselves from if we didn't kick against the goads, if we didn't chafe under His yoke, if we bowed the knee to His providence, those things that are not in your control, they're in His control. You believe that? Absolutely. Has God become God in a more absolute way, in that way, that, that those things that are not in your control are in His and if they are in His, I know for me, even over the last couple of years, and learning that lesson again and again, the more we chafe, the more it hurts us. And the sooner you bow the knee, the sooner you accept that He is God and we are not. And that these things He has brought into our lives come by His sovereign hand and He's working all things together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. And the sooner you bow your knee to it, the, even the difficult circumstances and providences that come, the sooner you bow the knee to His sovereignty and embrace it and worship Him in the midst of it. You are shaped by it. You will grow in it and He will work it to your good and it will hurt less. Trust Him. Submit to Him. Cling to Him in the face of dark and difficult providences. P.T. Forsyth again, he says about the carpenter, and he's describing the way suffering, and he says when a carpenter is at work, when, I, I used to garage sale. It's one of the things, like the main thing I did with my dad. We would go garage sailing together. As a teenager in high school, yes, this is what we did. Saturday, he would get the newspaper out. He would, he would look up all the garage sales, he would note their addresses. He would figure out where they are in town. He would write them out on a pad of paper in the order that he's going to hit them in a logical, geographical flow. And, and then we would go. And we would hit garage sales. And we would buy stuff. And my dad would refinish it and, re, and fix it up. When my wife and I got married, our, our first apartment was, was almost entirely. I don't think we bought a piece of furniture. I, I, maybe one. The entire house was furnished with stuff my dad and I bought at garage sales, fixed, refinished, and stored in the garage, and moved into the house the day we... So our, our decoration for years has been early garage sale. Um, but anyway, so we, we would, like, he'd buy a rickety chair, nice chair, but rickety, used, old, and he would take it apart and put it back together, glue it back together, redo the joints, he would glue them. Right, and so this is what he's describing, P.T. Forsyth says, when he glues together two boards, he keeps them tightly clamped, Till the glue sets, right? Tightly clamped, under pressure, until the glue sets. He would put the glue on the legs, but if you just left it, it would still be loose. And so whenever you put the glue in the, in, the, in the leg where it hit the, you had to clamp it. 
until the glue set and it would hold of itself internally. The glue would hold it. But until then, it had to be clamped and be under extreme pressure. So he says he keeps them tightly clamped until the glue sets and the outward pressure is no more needed. And then he unscrews. So with the calamities, depressions, and disappointments that crush us into close contact with God, the pressure is on us and it's kept until the soul's union with God is set. And while our requests may not be fulfilled, as we are praying and as we seek him in those moments, as we draw near instead of pulling away, and, and the soul sets as it comes to know God in new ways, trust him in new ways, walk with him in the midst of every kind of a circumstance. Instant relief would, establish, would not establish this habit of prayer, of communion, of fellowship, of trust. Finally, I would just say this, that Habakkuk learned that there comes a time when God alone must be enough. And I really do believe that, that we need to come to that place when God alone is enough. It's what the psalmist says in Psalm 73. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, they may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Right? Do you hear it? I mean, can you taste it? When God is enough, when everything else can fail, my flesh and everything else can fail, but God is enough? When all is stripped away, does he alone satisfy? I think these are, for me, probing questions. If he, if he did take away some of my toys, some of my comforts, my job, family member. Is God still God in that absolute way? Can I bow the knee? Does he satisfy my soul? Can I trust him? Trust him now in the midst of this and trust him for that day? Is he enough? Does he, does he satisfy when I don't understand and when it hurts? Is he, do I find him to be, can I take joy in God, the God of my salvation in the midst of that? Is it, is it true for me? Have you experienced that God is real? That his love is real, that his power is real, that his presence is real in the midst of all those things? That he is able to sustain you, to cause you to stand David Mathis says, Jesus will not fail you, even and especially in your hardest moments. He will indeed tour, turn our human expectations upside down like he did to Habakkuk. From where he started to where he landed, human expectations turned upside down. And he will show us in his perfect timing how the heaviest parts of life hold the most potential for the greatest joy in him. You'll only find it in him. If you don't find him in those moments, you won't find it. Right? And he says, but even in those moments, you, can f you, you find it, but it's in him. 
in and through every hurt, every suffering, every hardship, he is unfolding his purposes for our everlasting good and his purposes for the world. As Pastor Greg told us before, it's not about us. It's not about you. It's about what God is doing. Ultimately, for your final joy and his ultimate glory. So I ask you, is the reality of God's fellowship, his presence, his power, his love, and his grace, is that the source of your spiritual joy and sustenance in your darkest hours? And if it's not, that's what we need to learn like Habakkuk, to let him take us on that journey to that place where in our darkest moments, he is the sustenance, the joy, the life, of the soul. Are you satisfied in God alone? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we turn our hearts to you and we pray that you, by your grace, would bring us to where Habakkuk is. It is with fear and trembling that I would even say such a thing, Father, to teach us that you are enough, that you can satisfy the deepest parts of our soul under the darkest circumstances? Would you show yourself to be real, to be God in the absolutest of senses, God to the deepest parts of our souls, now and forever? In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close and sing about that satisfaction, that we've looked for it in the stupidest of places but it's only found in one.